Hello and welcome to Spotlight on Business, brought to you by NatWest with me, Mary Portas. In this podcast series, we'll be concentrating on the topics that matter most to UK businesses and discussing both the challenges and opportunities they face in today's business world. Each week, I'm joined by an experienced professional from some of the UK's leading companies to focus on themes such as marketing, exporting and HR, shining a light on the areas that businesses need to know about and to act on in order to succeed. And this week, the spotlight is on cash flow and finance. And with me is Luke Johnson, co-founder of Pact, the world's first frozen smoothie kit company, which since being founded three years ago has achieved rapid success and is now stocked in supermarkets such as Tesco and Sainsbury's across the UK. Well, that's pretty impressive, Luke. Welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining me. Um, you look about 18, but you're not, are you, Luke? How old are you? No, I'm 29, but glad to hear that you're still <laughs> hanging in there. <laughs> repay the compliment, repay <laughs> the compliment, please, Luke. Um, but before we jump into today's you know, subject, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the origins of Pact? Because I'm always fascinated when someone's got an idea and it grows so quickly and I think, oh, why didn't I think of that? Yes, so, so my background is basically that I grew up on a council estate in South East London and found my passion in sport and my outlet in sport. I was offered a tennis scholarship at a really young age and had that set out as my dream to really follow and dedicate my energy to. Then when I was 15, I got a really bad knee injury and basically just had to give up overnight. But the one thing that I kept with me was a real passion for nutrition and an understanding of how nutrition can fuel performance. So when I went and worked in the real world and found that it was hard to get all of the ingredients that I needed to... What were you doing in the real world? What did you do? So I, I guess you thought that was the end of it, 15. Yeah, I did. That is a big old blow, isn't it? So what did you go and do? So I, I, then, I then tried to play football and tried to move into football and I did that semi-professionally. Played like the FA Youth Cup and things like that, but I was never really anywhere near as good as I was. So it took me a while to realise that I wasn't going to make it in sport. Then I went and... Um, decided right I'm going to start my own company but the best way to do that is to get as much experience as I can as quickly as possible so I took a job at Groupon and gained startup experience when they first moved to the UK I took a job at the BBC um, and gained experience trying to pitch program ideas for natural history programs and I also set up my own charity card shop which I ran over Christmas. So an entrepreneurial spirit always did you think you were going to be that I mean from someone who, who was a sports person that, that's quite an entrepreneurial spirit that you had quite early on. I think as, as soon as sports came to an end, I had this m real drive to be the master of my own destiny and to really try and achieve my best every day. And, and the, the best way I could see doing that was to be my own boss. Yeah. Um, a few people don't see that, though, because there's quite a scary... And, it, you know, often people want to go for safety and working within a corporation, you know, that you know you're going to get that kind of regular play. They don't often see being your own boss as security, but you did. Yeah, I would rather live and die by my ability and my drive. So it, it certainly isn't as secure as, as doing other things. You know, the stability of a job is really wonderful at times, but I like to know that my efforts directly lead to the output so yeah which i guess you learn from sport yeah you put it exactly, in you exactly. put it in you're gonna get the, 100%, the what you put in you get out exactly okay, so back in 2013 you were still living and working in a shed in your parents garden you were actually the little gnome at the bottom of the garden in the shed I living was, and working yeah so i i <laughs> told my parents i had this great idea which was to start um packed 
Um, and so I moved back to London from Bristol and they said, right, well, there's, there's no room in the house, so you're going to have to live out there in the shed. So I basically stayed there with two freezers in there, all of my equipment for market stalls for two years, uh, living and working. Girlfriend wasn't pleased at all. Oh, she um, was in the shed with you? <laughs> she, she, when she came to visit, she wasn't very happy that I was living <laughs> in the shed. But yeah. I think she's happy now she's still with you. Still with me, yeah. Good, yeah. good, we like to hear that. So we're now focusing on cash flow and finance, and they're incredibly important to business. You know, it's either make or break. If you don't have a decent cash flow, irrelevant of profits. But especially in an environment where you're manufacturing products, cash flow is a big consideration. Mm. So why is it such an important consideration for a company like yours? So when you start off and you're a small business... Negoti- um, talk to me what small business size. What's your turnover? So, so turnover now is 1.3 million as of last year. But when we first started out, you know, our first year was 50 grand, our next year was 800 grand, and last year it was 1.3. So we've grown quickly. But when you first start out and you're negotiating terms with your suppliers, because you're a small business and you've got no proven track record, they won't give you good credit terms. Mm. So you're going to have to pay your suppliers pretty much ahead of their production, so pro forma. Um, yet the people that you're providing the product to aren't going to pay you for 90 to 120 days. So you get in a situation where you're constantly focusing on just keeping the business afloat from a cash point of view as opposed to focused on growing. Um, and to overcome that barrier, you either have to raise finance or you have to have a very sensible cash flow model. So, Luke, when you started, what finance did you have? And how old were you, first of all? 23. Right. So what sort of finance did you have? Genuinely, I had an overdraft with my bank. Um, what, because of university? It was actually with NatWest. I had a graduate uh, overdraft, which was a few thousand pounds, I think three thousand um, pounds. And my business partner had about a grand in the bank. So, And you kick-started off with that? We started the market. We, you know, the market store, we went to a scheme called a Kickstarter scheme, which basically gave us a free market store in Hackney for two weeks to test trade the idea. And uh, that was in April 2014. I remember the first day... Uh, we sold 40 smoothies and I was absolutely delighted because I was at that point in time, it could have gone one of two ways and it worked out. And 40 smoothies, were they already packaged? Were they no. packed like, no, right, right, Yeah, which say. is interesting because 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 we didn't have the funds to launch the product immediately. Yeah. We had to uh, basically sell fresh smoothies to give ourselves the funds to build a product. And Did you raise finance so in the early stages? The first two years, um, I got support from the Prince's Trust who gave me backing and mentoring. And was that really helpful? That was unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like, because if you haven't got a network around you that know about business, you need to find someone really that can just be a shoulder to lean on. And the Prince's Trust built my confidence, gave me advice and helped me really get started. Then when we were in a position where we developed the product and we were ready to launch it, I then sought funding. Um, and purely just by chance encounters, partially orchestrated by the Prince's Trust, I ended up finding some investment. So they helped out with that as well, guiding you in, in, in to investors? They, they basically put me in touch with mentors within the food industry who oh. then put me in touch with other people that would be interested. And, you know, do you think or has there been any time where you think, gosh, growth could be limited because we can't fulfil our orders because we haven't got the, the payment terms of, of being crippling to us? Has there been a time where that's happened? I'd say all the time you're having to be aware of that you can't grow as quick as you'd like and um, because if we want to do the things that we know we should be doing in terms of marketing or in terms of driving awareness, we just have to constantly have so much money tied up in stock to make sure that the customer's always going to be supplied 
that we can't necessarily speculate on things yeah. that we'd like to do. The Federation of Small Businesses has found that 84% of small businesses have been paid late for a product or service. And Siemens Financial Services report that 23% of SMEs found late payments put them at risk of closure. That's a pretty high stat. When you're working with big retailers, which you have now, your payment terms can often be unfavourable. How do you deal with that? So we, at the start, try to negotiate payment terms with our customers. Some have uh, schemes in place that are really useful. Um, what are those schemes? So, so uh, with some of the customers, for example, we can get paid within 14 days just because we're a small supplier. With well, what our, percentage of those would have small suppliers? Very small. Those in my experience, yeah. very small. As a small business, you begin to learn which customers have long payment terms, mm. which ones honour their payment terms, and you can sort of build that into your planning a little bit. But with the ones where we do get good payment terms, it's, it's a, you know, a godsend. And you chase payments, I guess, don't you as well? I mean, that's something you have to do. How much of your time spent doing that within the business? So we've, we've got um, a guy on our team who looks after the finances, the invoices, the bookkeeping, and he is assigned with the role of chasing payments. For a small business, it's a large proportion of time versus the big businesses, and it just means that the whole process becomes even more tipped against us because our time mm. spent on chasing finance as opposed to growing the company. Someone interestingly said about possibly charging late payment and, uh, and putting a late payment charge on from the beginning. Would, would you feel confident enough to go in and, and do a deal now with businesses and say, oh, do you know what, if you're late, I'm going to charge you for the time? I, th I think it'd be, a, it'd, it'd be a really fair thing to do, yeah. but, but because the relationship's so tilted towards the, the customer that's larger than us, it wouldn't be realistic because relationships are so important in this business and it often stops us making decisions we know are right um, but sometimes just as a small business, you have to go go with yeah, what needs to happen. It's a tough one, isn't it? So, do you, and do you have any examples uh, from along your journey where you've had to quickly problem solve a, a cash flow? Well, I, I guess it's every day, as you've said, it's, you're constantly, but has there been a time where you thought, <gasps> right, this is a new one? Yeah, when we, when we were first starting out in business, because we hadn't had an extensive experience in business ourselves, there was moments where... I remember basically being, you know, a few months away from running out of cash, like sort of two months and just sitting down with our finance guy. And he basically said, look, these are the steps you need to take. Never make this mistake again. And I think once you've had that lesson learned, as long as it's done in a controlled way, you take it forward and never again. So what were the steps? What did he so say? So the key, he was basically like, right, you need to make sure that your cutting costs here. You need to know your break-even point. You need to know what your burn rate is every month. You need to have a cash flow model that is variable so you can plan what happens if you get loads of sales? What happens if you get too little sales? Because at the time for us, we were just getting so many sales that we were just struggling to pay, pay for them to be produced, really, because we were getting paid so late. So the solution for us as well was uh, getting invoice finance in place so that we could get that money from the customers up front and early and keep the cash flow positive. And that break-even is really important. Yeah. Know where that is. Yeah. How do you assess that break-even point? Basically, just just if you put input in all your costs, um, knowing what your your gross margin and your net profit margin is, and working out at what point are you going to start becoming cash flow positive in terms of uh, money coming in versus money going out, and for us, we've got that point in mind, and it's something we almost obsess over. So it's you know you just you know that you've got to hit that every month or every couple of months to make sure you're on course. Well, I guess everybody looks at you and goes, oh, I've seen your stuff in Sainsbury's, Luke. You must be rolling in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah that's what's crazy. Is but the trickle effect from mass success in terms of distribution yeah. down to the actual in your pocket 
you want to try and keep that to, to an extent that should be the last thing that happens you're about growing the business as big as you can building a team that's going to be the best team for the long term and making your company really thrive it's for me it's not about filling my pockets until the point where the company is really successful so you're profitable now uh, so we are about to go into profit in our next financial year. Yeah. And you will then put that back in, I would imagine. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. Money's How many years before. do you think you're going to be doing that for? Uh, at least three to five. Okay. So you've got to be prepared, haven't you, in advance? This isn't a, you know, a quick fix, is it? This is long term. What's your goals eventually that you'd be bought out? So it's really tricky with um, business because some people tell you to focus on an exit strategy from day one. Mm. Some people say if you focus on that, you'll start taking your eye off the ball. So for me... I focus on building the, the best company I can and having the biggest positive impact that I can. And if someone comes along the way and says, hey, you know, you're, we'd really like to acquire a company at that point, you consider it. I think that's a really, really good tip. So tell me, what financial tools or routes have you taken to ensure that the right access to funds are available when you need them? Because that, that's a problem, I would imagine, for a lot of businesses. How do I know that those funds are there You've been growing at a pretty speedy rate. So mm. what access have you had? What sort of routes have you, and tools have you had? So one of the biggest tools is invoice finance. It is knowing that as soon as you get a purchase order from a customer, you can pass that on and you can get access to those funds. Explain early. what invoice finance is first. So, so basically, if, so if a supermarket places an order with me mm-hmm. um, and I fulfill the goods, then I can pass that order onto the bank and they can give me 80% of those funds up front until the customer pays me eventually and then I get the rest remaining 20%. So I basically get 80% of the funds up front and then I can get the 20% when the customer That's pays me. That's a lifesaver. That's got to be probably the most important part. With, you, yeah, without it? a shadow of a doubt, yeah. Yeah. And there's insurance that goes with that as well in case your client doesn't pay you. Yes. Make sure you find out about yeah. that. Um, do you have any contingency funds for late payments? I mean, I know you were in your shed, so maybe you saved some money from yeah. there. But, I mean, do you have any funds that you've just got, you know, for the old rainy day, as they call it? We, I think because our cash flow model, we put in the best case, the worst case, and a realistic scenario, we always try and keep a little bit aside every sort of three to six months so that if anything does go wrong, we've already got a little bit to rely upon. So for us, because we're a small business, it can't be as much as we'd like. I think the bigger companies, they sometimes have sort of three to six months or even 12 months of of cash set aside. We can't afford to do that, but we keep as much back as we can so that there's always something to rely on if we need to. And what about the other big financial decisions you have to think about, like whilst you're growing the business, staffing, premises, manufacturing, you know, machinery, you know, before you've even got onto marketing and that. How do you prioritise? The most important thing for me is making sure you've got a good team. So we... People are always the thing. Yeah, 100%. And also, yeah. it's, but I, I, I was told that at the start and I still made the same mistakes going through the process. Like as, what? As hiring people fast yeah. and because you need to fill a yeah. role at that point in time. I was always told, hire slowly, fire fast. Yes. That's but it, it doesn't it's, work. It's so true. Around. Yeah. It's so, in theory, knowing that and then when your gut and your emotions get involved trying to actually do that, it becomes something you have to learn. Yeah, of course, you know, and, and the, the business has come in. Who's going to be doing that? Up oh, there's someone who can fill that yeah. gap, but it is the biggest headache. What about premises? Premises, um, so we started with no overheads, which is the sh- So basically for us, premises is about having what is the lowest operational cost you need for a premises because you want to have an environment that people are happy to work in, but you don't want to go excessive yeah. on spending. So we, we now have a, um, a shared 
Um, bigger shed. Uh, sorry, no. <laughs> we went from a nice uh, bigger one with a door. Shed to shipping container to abandoned <laughs> hospital and now to real office. <gasps> you have grown. I quite like the idea of the abandoned hospital. That was quite creative. Know, they all sound very trendy, but it wasn't yeah, quite as good. They're quite yeah. doom and gloom, aren't they? There's... And uh, when you're looking for guidance on finance, who do you go to for help? It's about getting the right accountant on board. I think. Do you just have the one? What's your finance team? One accountant. So we, so my co-founder heads up our finance team. What was your co-founder's training? Uh, he was at Deloitte. Um, oh, right. Quite, Helpful. Yeah, so he's good. And we've got an accountant who's really experienced, so 30 years in accountancy yeah. and um, at some of the largest firms. So he effectively mentors us because we acknowledge that we're young and we've still got loads to learn. And it's about surrounding yourself with people that can teach you that and are willing to teach you that. Um, if you could go back in time when you were just starting the company and you were down in that little garden shed at the end of the garden of your parents, what top tip for finance or cash flow would it be that you wish someone had told you? I would say that it's very easy to get caught up in the excitement of growing a business um, and building a product that everyone's going to love and having a, a positive impact. But you need to realise that the foundations upon which that is built is cash flow. So if you prioritise that first, it's going to be the springboard that allows you to make your dreams a reality. And keeping an eye on the numbers constantly. Constantly. You do that weekly? Weekly, yeah, yeah, yeah weekly. Daily my colleague does it and weekly I check in with my colleague. Thank you so much. Um, you've been listening to the Spotlight on Business podcast from Nat West with me, Mary Porter. So my thanks to this week's guest, Luke Johnson, co-founder of Pact. Thank you so much. Lovely having you in the studio. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. And to discover more information on what we've discussed today, business insight, local events and stories from businesses facing the same challenges as you, search NatWest Business Hub or go to natwestbusinesshub.com where you'll also find links to watch our Spotlight sessions. I'll be back with another Spotlight on Business podcast next week when we'll be focusing on HR. Until then, from me, Mary Portas, it's goodbye.